This is a message from the Art Intelligence Agency. Welcome to AI Agents, a program that explores the intersections of innovation and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by a collaboration between the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and the C.F. Fowler Institute at the University of Adelaide. Join our host, Tim Whiffen, in conversation with creatives, academics, and professionals in exploring how human and artificial intelligence can collaborate in divergent ideas for our future. Agent John McCormack is an IT professor at Monash University, an Australian Research Council Future Fellow and the director of SensiLab, a space where researchers from unconnected disciplines can collaborate freely joining design, fabrication and art production with advanced computing infrastructure. John's vision for an integration of technology and creativity has come alive since starting SensiLab in 2015. With expertise in music, art, design and computing, John's career represents the ethos of this podcast and has a wealth of experience to share. I have brought John onto the podcast to discuss the progress of computer creativity and the relationship between human and virtual creative output. I'm joined with John McCormack. How are you, John? Good, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I would like to just start with asking if you could please give our audience a, a brief explanation of your, your research interests. Well, I've been working with computers and technology for a long time. And I guess my interest is in creativity, basically at the broadest level. So can computers make us more creative? So I have a, a, an art practice, so I'm a you know, kind of practicing artist, but I always work with technology and I have for many years. So uh, my interests are really in designing new kinds of computer software or new kinds of computer systems that expand human creativity in, in whatever way that makes, that makes sense. But certainly not to kind of take over human creativity, not to replace it or consume it or better it or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of people have a, an intuitive kind of rejection, rejection to that. I guess there's a lot of fear in this field in that sense. But as you say, you, you know, you're an artist as much as you are a, a scientist, I suppose. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really appreciate your insight into what artificially intelligent art looks like. What are the differences, I guess, that you would distinguish um, between that and human art? Yeah. I mean, people have been working in AI for a long time. There's a sort of new wave of AI art now that's largely derived from the recent work in things like um, convolutional neural networks or generative adversarial networks, which are you know, basically neural nets. So it's kind of gained this currency in, in sort of contemporary art, I think, largely because of one sale, I think, uh, last year, where a, a group of French students auctioned the work at, at Christie's for you know, over $400,000 that was made by an AI. Wow. But the history of, of AI and art actually dates back you know, decades before then. And there were a lot of people who are really pioneering um, working with software that they wrote themselves rather than software that they just downloaded from that was written by someone else. So there's no one kind of thing that defines it as a, you know, even if you're talking just about visual art, for example, there's nothing that necessarily defines it. Although if you look at very specific, what I would call subgenres like work made with GANs, generative adversarial networks, they have a distinctive kind of look. And I think that look, in many senses overpowers any other aspect of the of the artwork in some cases. So 
yeah, but the the range of things that people have done has been amazing from sort of robotics to, um, you know, machines that paint or draw to image generation software and even a lot of people working in other media like sculpture, sound and so on. So it's certainly permeated every kind of artistic practice, I think. Um, so it's hard to just point to something and say, oh, that's definitely, you know, AI art or that's what AI art looks like. Yeah, I... I... I agree. I guess there's there's no kind of um, distinguishing features. Uh, in some ways, the, the this kind of nexus between uh, creativity and machine learning, um, as you say, has a a several decade long history. Uh, yet, in in other ways, it kind of feels like it's far from its maturity. Um, we kind of are scratching the surface with these technologies. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> would you? Yeah. What, what do you kind of hope to see in the future? What things are on the horizon? Yeah, good question. It's really, it's always dangerous to speculate. But I think one of the things that at the moment is difficult is that this, the software technology is kind of more difficult than what usually a single person can kind of comprehend, I guess, or could write from scratch. So perhaps in the earlier days of AI, people would come up with a concept or an idea or they would read about something in AI, and then they would go and implement their own kind of creative and artistic version. Uh, but now if you want to use like GANs or something like that, of course you can get access to the software and you can modify it, but very few people write something from scratch. And because the, you know, the kind of mathematics and the computer science behind it is reasonably complex or the networks themselves are reasonably complex and they require a lot of training, it's hard to do that. So, I mean, to answer your question, I think what I'd like to see is greater artistic capability in the systems. I think at the moment they were originally designed for engineering purposes and they kind of look or you know the visual artworks look like that not not completely but you know, some great exceptions people doing really interesting work but so you kind of get this generic feel with a lot of the work i think that uses ai at the moment so i think one aspiration would be to break out from that kind of generic look so that everyone who works with the same piece of software ends up creating work that looks very similar to something that recognizes the actual human aspect of human art which is interesting. I mean, there's another sort of school of thought, which you know, a friend of mine, another researcher, and I call heroic AI, where the AI is the kind of artistic hero, like the lone creator, and is just coming up with all this, this artwork. But I'd really question why we would want a system to do that. I mean, we, we have a lot of AI systems that do things like play chess or Go, and they beat the best human. So, so you know, AlphaGo, Meaning Lisa Dahl was just, you know, was an incredible moment in history, I guess, in terms of AI, particularly because Go is such a complicated human game. You know, it's not like chess, but, you know, it's fairly algorithmic anyway. So there's always this engineering challenge of beating the best person. But, you know, if you were to ask someone what's the best artwork, you're never going to get a universal answer, right? No one's going to, you know, we can say, we can say quite confidently who's the best human chess player on earth because we have championships and so on or who's the best go player on earth we know that but we don't know who the best artist is on earth and it's not really a sensible question to ask because there are many great artists many good artists on earth there are thousands and thousands of them so you know the, the question is well who do you want to beat to begin with and why do you want to beat them anyway because why would someone be interested in a machine that somehow makes art that's better than than humans do mm. Mm. Well, I've, I've kind of read uh, the, a challenge that you've raised for these um, artistic AI models. 
um, that human aesthetic experiences are you know, complex. They transcend focus on particular artifacts uh, to paraphrase, mm. um, which is, you know, largely incompatible with the, I guess, logical or methodical uh, computational models that, that I guess um, to, paraphrase a philosopher I, I spoke to uh, they're able to they're not able to judge they can only reckon yeah so do you think that we're heading in a direction where we can overcome those challenges or is it is it just um, an inherent kind of flaw let's say or an inherent constriction of these kind of logical computational models I think this that determines to a certain extent how people approach the problem and I think that is, that is the sort of mistake that's made. So, you know, from an engineering point of view, you might consider the production of art as the production of artifacts or objects. So, you know, the artist paints a painting in the classic cliche, right? So, you, of course, you replace the artist with the machine and the machine makes the painting. But the problem is that if you actually look in more detail at what art is, particularly contemporary art, but I, I would argue that it goes back to the earliest um, human expression, uh, human creative expression, uh, is that it's a lot more than that. it's actually one human communicating to another through a medium. So uh, the the question really is not just can we make a machine that makes art, it's how does machines that make art fit into the human ecosystem of art as, as a whole. So, uh, you know, that's that's why I mentioned earlier that from, from my perspective, I don't see any reason or need to make a, a machine that makes art better than the best humans because um, it, it doesn't seem to serve a purpose because there would be no communication behind it. Um, whereas when one artist communicates something through their artwork to other humans, that communication is really important. That's kind of the essence of what the artwork is. I mean, it encompasses other things too, like aesthetic experience and, and so on. But I mean, at the moment, it's, it's an impossible challenge in a way because machines have no phenomenological experience like humans do. They have no consciousness. They have no reason to communicate. Mm. Uh, in, in, in art. I mean, all of, the, all of the computers that make art are programmed specifically you know, to do that. We don't have machines um, in, with free will making the choice to make art, which is what humans do. So humans choose to make art when, when and if they want to. Machines don't have that choice. So, you know, there's, I think I've done some writing and pointed this out in the past that there's this incredible kind of um, double standard in a way. If you expect a machine to be an artist and to communicate, um, but you don't allow it the free will not to make art, it's equivalent to slavery in a way, right? Mm -hmm. if, we, if we treated a human, if we locked a human in a room and said, make art or else, mm -hmm. I'm going to kill you or turn you off, um, that would be considered immoral. But, you know, because it's a machine, of course, we never consider any of the things we do to it immoral. And that's, that's fine. I don't have a, a moral objection to treating machines that way. But if you're arguing that the machine is an artist, then I think you have to consider the moral aspect of being an artist as well. Yeah, it's interesting. If we, if we don't care enough to, let's say, if we don't care enough to um, understand that this is effectively slavery, um, what chance do we have of caring about what, what they're communicating to us, you know, through art? Like, That's right. And, and, you know, what would machines want to communicate to mm. us anyway? So then it, it sort of, you know, it starts to get into science fiction territory, but you're starting <laughs> to think about, well, if, if aliens came to Earth um, and they showed us stuff that was, that we somehow they managed to communicate with and work out was their art, would we, 
really be that interested in it. Uh, I mean, of course, we'd be interested in it because it's the first non-human example of art. But once we get over that, if we didn't really understand it, if there wasn't much communication going on, so we would look at it and say, that's interesting because it's alien. But after a while, are people going to go to alien art galleries? Are they going to be, <laughs> you know, kind of sharing that or paying, paying for that art? And I think that's, you know, the example I mentioned at the beginning, the anonymous sale for $400,000. Mm. I think the, the reason someone was willing to pay that was firstly because they were pretty stupid, but secondly, because it's, it's alien, it's foreign, it's made by an AI, yeah. so it has this kind of cachet that's got nothing to do with the artistic value. It's to do with the fact that someone told, this, told the gallery that it was made by an artificial intelligence. Mm. It's so, an- you know, if you think about, again, going back to the chess analogy, nobody wants to go and watch two computers play chess. So, you know, mm. computer beat Gary Kasparov, Deep Blue, years and years, decades ago. Um, a, a standard computer chess program can play chess better than most of the human population on Earth. And certainly better, the best chess programs can beat the best humans. But nobody goes and watches two machines play chess because it's just boring. This is no, we, you know, that's not part of what enjoying chess is really about. And I think it's the same with machines that make art. No, no one's going to go to art galleries if, if it's just made by computers because apart from the fascination that it's a kind of alien mm. intelligence, um, it'll get boring pretty quickly. Well, it makes an interesting case because it, I, I think, I, what I've what you've just highlighted for me is really that, you know, there's no kind of combinatorial or like ontology, I, I guess you could call it. Like, uh, uh, I I don't relate to a computer and how I see the world yet, right? And this is because I'm exposed to, let's say, consumer technologies, which at best are fallible, mm-hmm. and. It, I, I don't interact with the world in the way a computer does. So I certainly don't value uh, what it's trying to communicate in the same way as I do when uh, another human talks to me, because mm. it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, tell me anything about or, or kind of reveal anything about our existence in some sense. So um, it, really interesting topic. At what point can a computer uh, or, or an AI or, or machine learning, at what point can it start to be, uh, identifiable have common kind of traits and uh, with with humans yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean so really you touched on a really interesting question which is something else i kind of wanted to raise which is this whole idea um and it goes back to your earlier question about you know machines making art the machine doesn't exist in isolation computers don't exist in isolation from people mm. they're part of um, a similar, you know, if you want to use your word ontology, they're part of this, a similar ontology. So we're kind of immersed in the digital world now and we wear technology on our bodies, we carry mm. it in our phones all the time. And it's not that the, the, those computers adapt to us. We, it goes the other way too. We adapt to them. We're informed and influenced by them. And you think about things like, you know, the infinite scroll, it's a mechanism to keep people engaged, to to basically, you know, sell advertising on social media platforms is a, a human behavioral change. So the machines have changed human behavior. Mm. So it's not as clear cut as, as, as maybe I was, uh, you know, kind of heading to before with the whole alien example, because these aliens are already well entrenched into our, um, our geography and uh, the kind of cartography of our minds, if you like. So mm. they're, they're changing that as well. They're manipulating us. Um, and I think we also have this mistake of thinking of 
AI as being a singular intelligence like a person. So when we think about artists, we think of the singular genius, you know, the, the Picasso or, or the, the Monet or whoever it is, as a singular genius, the tortured genius who made the art that we then enjoy. Um, but to think of AI like that is, you know, probably as you realise, is, is completely wrong. I mean, when we talk about this, this sort of very vacuous concept of artificial intelligence, which is really a pretty bad name, there's nothing that's very intelligent about it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, certainly, yes, it's artificial, um, but it, we're really talking about racks and racks of servers sitting in Silicon Valley or in Singapore or Sydney or wherever they are, processing a whole lot of data that they're getting from people's interactions mm. with the world and then basically reconstructing those interactions as a way of optimising things like um, screen contact time or total sales volume or any of those things. That's really the biggest penetration of artificial intelligence. Now, you could kind of think of that as a kind of an art project in the in the Duchampian sense, right? That it's this whole, where the whole world has kind of had its behavior changed by artificial intelligence, even perhaps without their conscious knowledge that it's mm. been changed. So, you know, I think that's, that's another really interesting aspect. And to think of these individual machines as artists is probably completely the wrong way to, to think about how it will go in the future. We're like, it's only now, if you think about things like curated playlists, right? So you, you have a Spotify account, you get, recommendations from Spotify based on your past listening. You have a Netflix account. You get recommendations from Netflix based not just on what you've watched, but how much money they've spent on the production that they want to kind of get you to get you to watch. But your media is being curated for you. And that, that is a fundamental change in the way that people have experienced culture, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it's very dangerous because uh, it's not giving you a choice. I mean, it's giving you a false choice, right? It's saying, I know you're going to like this and the chances are that you will. Um, but that doesn't expose you to the things that you don't want or things yeah. that you might find by serendipity or that you might change your taste in the future. Yeah. Um, so if we think about that in an art context, um, it might be possible in the future for a machine to create art that you absolutely love. It's personalized to you. It's, it's perfect. It's stuff that mm. you think, I'd pay for this. This is great. I love it. And you show it to someone else and they say, yeah, it's quite good, but I think mine's better. And they show you theirs and there's <laughs> a bit like yours, but slightly different. Right. So everyone is kind of getting this personalization down yeah. to the level of the individual. But again, it just goes back to my question. It's not made by a person. So what value do you really get from it apart from it? It's like, it's like being given a, a sweet, you know, mm. given a piece of sugar, you respond instinctively because the you know, humans have evolved to like sweetness. I mean, that's the kind of level perhaps it's, it's more subtle and more deeper than just the immediate sweetness reaction because the, the artwork can have conceptual ideas embedded within it. But mm. um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. It is. Yeah. It's uh, I guess that case that I, I guess an anthropologist might make, you know, it, it, some of these things are, are tools and to the extent that you, that you hold them in your hand, they are you. Um, and so there's like a, a good area for collaboration. I think that's been something we've discovered on the podcast so far um, that AI as kind of tools to augment your creativity really can surprise us. And I think perhaps even showcases the best examples of mm, maybe you could say that AI is intelligent or, 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 say, or say that AI is at least creative. Um, do, do you think, uh, is, is there like a best practice or, or, you know, how, how best can humans collab collaborate with AI to kind of achieve creative greatness? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, there's no, one, there's no one single way, but I think, you know, you've kind of hit the point that 
throughout human history, tools have enabled new kinds um, kinds of art. So, you know, a classic example is the is the uh, cobalt blue, which is a colour in paint that didn't exist and became very expensive, and that kind of expanded mm. painting palettes. I mean, there's there's thousands of examples, of course. Cinema, um, you know, before cinema, there was you know there was theatre. I guess was the closest thing, but theatre is not like cinema, and and cinema as we know it now is is nothing like cinema as it was at the beginning, and it's all changed through technology and the tools that have become available, and that's a, you know made huge expansive mm -hmm. um, creative possibilities for, for filmmakers in cinema, for example. So I think it's a similar story with any kind of technology. Um, so I guess the only thing is really more what's good and what, what works. Mm. And I think what AI gives the opportunity for is super personalization to begin. So to create a tool that works specifically for you as the artist and also for it to become a co-creator, so maybe a source of inspiration or ideas, mm. a guiding hand that helps you do things. But I, the one thing that's important to differentiate, I guess, between a tool and an AI is the level of autonomy that the AI system has. So if you take a, a contemporary piece of software like Photoshop, for instance, you know, Photoshop has been around for, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day, it's been around for decades, right? And most people think of Photoshop as a tool, but in the most recent versions, they've started to bring AI into the Photoshop workplace. Now, some of their tools, are, they're pretty benign. So Photoshop pioneers will remember back in the day when you had to mask out a person from a background and you had to sort of draw the line, you had the marching ants around the head and you had to cut them out. And it was never really that great and it took ages. And now, of course, there's an AI that can work out what's the foreground and what's the background and create the mask for you automatically. So it's just a time-saving tool does it make you more creative i don't think so it might allow a little bit more time for you to think creatively whereas before you were spending hours just drawing the outline around the foreground from the background um, so there still aren't really those tools that are getting to that level of autonomy and and where it's making some kinds of creative decision for you some low level creative decision um, I mean, if you think about famous artists like um, Bridget Riley, who's very famous for optical art, you know, she did these, these amazing paintings uh, called Op Art. She had an assistant to work with her. So she would kind of tell the assistant exactly what to do. And the, the assistant would interpret that and, you know, do, do all the sort of fine technical details in the, in the painting for her. But we have no kind of illusion that that person was the artist. The, the, the princess Bridget Riley, and it was Bridget Riley who made that particular artwork. Whereas if you take a music partnership like Lennon and McCartney, right? So, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney uh, put their name on all of the songs, even though sometimes, you know, John wrote more of the song and other times Paul wrote, but they had that agreement that they always said it was Lennon and McCartney. Um, but we kind of think of them both as being part of the creative team. So mm. I think the tipping point will come when you have uh, an artist interacting with a machine and the artist kind of credits the machine as being part of the creative team. We're not quite at that point yet, but we're getting pretty close, I think, particularly in music. Mm. Mm. That's, that's just a fascinating topic. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, though, so I will just kind of finish with asking you if you could tell us uh, about the, the future work that you're participating in. What, what are you up to, I guess? <laughs> ah, oh, well, we're up to lots of things. Um, <laughs> we've got, well, we've got a big project that we've been doing for some time, which is working with some researchers in the UK on music improvisation. So trying to create real-time tools, AI tools, 
So you might have a band to three people that includes an AI in that band and you're improvisers and you want to be able to improvise with the AI in a way that supports your creativity or it makes, you know, kind of challenges you, makes you more, more creative. So it results in a better improvisation. And it's, it's actually a really hard problem because it's quite, you know, it's been quite well known for many years how to have computer systems that write music in a compositional sense. So you can feed um, a system a whole lot of examples of music and it can create something in that style, for example. Um, but improvisation is basically literally where you're making it up as you go along and you're responding in the moment, in a moment-by-moment basis. So it's an incredible technical challenge to be able to do. But it's also really, really interesting when you improvise with a non-human player to think about how you approach that because you, you can't offend it, um, you, you can't get angry. Well, you can get angry with it, but it doesn't respond to, the hum, to human emotions. So how do you actually interact with that is one of the questions we're asking. Mm. And we've developed some, some fairly simple machine improvisers that work with human players. And we're also looking at the kind of communication between the AI and the humans for the AI to say, well, how confident am I in what, what I'm doing? Do I like this? Do I not like it? Um, and those kinds of things. So, yeah, that's one project. Um, uh, maybe just really another project which is completely unrelated that we're doing is uh, to do with using um, machine learning techniques to understand individual artistic preferences. So um, again, it's a collaboration with a, an artist in the UK who has this, he, he works with in computational art. So it's perfect for this because you've got a computer system that you can control. And basically try to make an AI that can do a lot of the, basically the grunt work and we have to show the artist examples of things from within the system he's designed, the sorts of things within that system that it thinks he would like a lot, like that are really good. And um, so far it's been quite successful. So we've managed to train a neural network to understand his particular aesthetic preference, which is not like anyone else's. And um, we're just sort of on the cusp of integrating that into the system where it will actually recommend things that it's found from within the system he's designed, which has billions and billions of possibilities of which most of those possibilities aren't very interesting. It's just a tiny little grain of gold, a river of gold mm-hmm. that's, that's in there. So if, we, if the computer can find that river of gold, it still allows the artist to control the system and to choose and select which you know, final um, artifacts that he wants to create. But it saves huge amounts of time because the computer is basically like a, a, a duplicate of him that's just able to judge if he'll like it or not. Mm. Mm. Well, that, uh, uh, absolutely fascinating work. And of course, in diverse areas, as we would expect, um, which is yeah, just I- incredible. But I, I do have to um, thank you for your time. Uh, it's just been a fascinating conversation. And uh, perhaps we can talk again sometime um, if uh, our schedule allows. But yeah, yeah. thank you very much, John. No, thank you, Tim. It's great. Pleasure to talk to you. See you later. You can find out more about John McCormack's work at sensilab.monash.edu or follow the links in the episode description. John's research has spanned many fields and he has produced some fascinating publications on artificial intelligence and the philosophy of art. John's work opens a lot of doors for those curious about machine learning and creative collaborations with advanced technology. And we're excited to bring you along as we discover more about this fascinating field. Thanks for listening to AI Agents. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and consider giving it a review. 
Do not forget that you can share this episode with other intelligent people and things, but for now, it is time to close the pod bay doors, Hal.